we've been talking about, it really works, prayer. And so sometimes people don't realize that prayer actually is supposed to work. I know that's an odd thing. No, it's the truth. But there are people who will pray and not even think prayer is supposed to work, but they'll pray, and then you'll go, you're expecting an answer, and they'll be like, was I supposed to do that? Well, then why are you praying? Is it just that God wants um, you to be active, you know, with no results? You know, I mean, we are not hamsters, you know, inside of a cage, and we just run and go in this thing that spins in a circle and feel good after but I think that's what some people think prayer is, and that's never what God intended it to be. And so we started teaching on prayer, but we really haven't talked about prayer yet, have we? If you were here. And so this is week three, and we're going to talk today about when you shouldn't pray. Somebody said, well, then we're still not talking about prayer. No, we are talking about prayer, but this is real important because what we need to understand is Christians have more authority than they recognize or know many times. There's a lot of people who are Christians who don't realize they have certain authority and certain rights and certain privileges while they're here on the earth. Sometimes we are taught that, hey, salvation is what I get, I'm saved, and this is kind of like fire insurance, and when you die, you go to heaven, and then when you're down here, you do whatever, live however, just get beat up, and just not true. Thank you for your excitement. But if you didn't know better, and somebody said, well, that's how I'm living right now, it doesn't have to be that way. And so we're going to talk about authority today, and when you shouldn't just pray. I know that can be I'm not downgrading prayer. I'm just saying there's a time not to pray, and there's a time to pray. You with me? The Bible's clear if we're honest and read. All you have to do is look at Jesus' life. He faced storms. He faced many problems, and he didn't pray. A storm came, and it's going to sink the ship. And the first thing he said is, everybody get on your knees, pray. We need to pray hard right now. Everybody be praying, praying. We're in the middle of trouble. Pray, pray, pray. If there's anything we need to do right now, it's pray. Get, Peter, get down and pray. <laughs> he didn't do that. He just got up and he spoke to the problem. And then after he solved the problem, he rebuked them for not doing something about it. That happened again and again in Jesus' ministry where he expected them to pray because he took them to pray and he went to pray. But there were times he did not pray when he faced things. You with me? I could tell this is going to be a good one. So, so I'm going to read some scriptures that probably or maybe quote some that are probably really familiar to a lot of people, uh, but they have significance when you look at them in the light of what we're going to talk about. So I'm going to go through these real quick. John 17, John the 17th chapter and the 14th through the 16th verse. Many of us are familiar with, you know, the phrase, you're in the world or we're in this world, but we're not I'm sorry, we're in the world, but we're, I, let me, how many of you know the Bible tells us we're in the world, but not of the world? So that means 
what? I don't know. I'm in the world. I'm of the world, am I not? No, he said, you're in the world, but you're not of the world. That's what this verse or these verses say here, and other ones say it too. So we're in the world, but why did he say we're in the world as believers, but not of the world or the world system and the way of the world? So he didn't, now here's what he didn't say. He didn't say everybody that's in the world is in the world, but not of the world. Some people, when they don't know the Lord, are not only in the world, then they're of the world. That's significant. I know it doesn't sound like it, but it is. And some of this, you know, you hear these things and you go, yeah, I'm in the world, but I'm not of the world. What does that mean? And why didn't he just say everybody's in the world but not, and some people are, but they aren't? And why did he talk like that? Why did he make a distinction between us as believers being in the world but not of the world, but people who haven't made Jesus Lord, they're in the world and of the world? Then that means we're in the world because we're in the world, and they're in the world, but they're of the world and we're not of the world. But what does that really mean? So John 14 says, I have given them your word, 17, 14, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. You wonder why you have problems sometimes with some people who don't love the Lord? Well, we could be obnoxious, but at the same time, you could be kind and some of them are not going to like you. He said, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So just like Jesus was not of the world, we're not of the world if we're saved. That's important to know, because here's what happens with a lot of people. They want to be in the world, with the world, of the world, and have everybody in the world like them, and they're in the world and of the world, but we're in the world, not of the world. Somebody said, that still doesn't make sense. But watch when we read some more verses. And we'll read on. I do not pray, verse 15, that you should take them out of the world. Great. So in other words, when you get saved, you are, were in the world and of the world. But when you get saved, you're in the world but not of the world anymore. And we're going to look at what that looks like and why it is so significant to know this. Because when he talks about being in the world and of the world, and in the world, and not of the world, he's talking about what rules your life, the laws that govern you, and so on. And so he said, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Uh-oh, doesn't mean the evil one? There's a way that we can deal with the evil one and still be in the world? Hmm. Then he said, they are not of the world. He just, we heard that. But he said it again, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Then he said, sanctify or help them be separate through your truth. Your word is truth. So he said, the word of God is going to be key in this understanding of being in the world and not of the world. Turn to 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter. This may come as a shock to a lot of people when we read this verse. But remember, we're in the world, but not of the, of the world or world system. 
Because we're of the world, aren't we, in a natural sense? We're all born of people and, you know, hopefully not of aliens or something like that. Thank you. Uh, we're born of natural people, so we're born into this natural world. But he said, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. So this verse right here is going to start clarifying for us what it is to be in the world and what it kind of looks like. And when we got saved, we are not of the world, even though we're here. He's really talking about world systems or kingdoms. And a lot of people don't realize because they're not taught the Bible. I'm talking Christians here. They'll go around telling people, I'm forgiven. I'm just like you. Well, yeah, in one sense, in the sense you're human, but in the sense of who you are spiritually and whose control you're to be under and what kind of control or authority you're supposed to be exercising, totally different. Notice 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, and he's talking about lost people here who have not seen the gospel truth because it either hasn't been shared with them by a Christian or whatever, but he said, whose minds, verse 4, the God of this age, one translation says the God of this world. So age is a time and world is what we're not of. Whom the God of this world has blinded, whose minds he's blinded, who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Notice the phrase, here he's talking about the devil, and he calls him the God of this world. And then he gives a time frame of this age. Remember when Jesus went to cast the devil out of one man, and the devil spoke through the man? And he said, have you come to torment me before the time? Even the devil knew. Are you going to do something before you're supposed to do it? Because he knows there's an age where he has a right here. So he said, well, how in the world did he get this right? Go back and read Genesis in the beginning when man forfeited the right. Remember when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness in Luke 4, and in other places the story goes, Satan came to him, the God of this age, and said, if you would bow down and worship me, I'll give you all this because it was given to me. Was he lying? Because if he was lying, he wouldn't have refuted him with the truth. No, Satan has a right here, and he's basically, you could say it like this, this might be crude, but he's operating on Adam's lease. In other words, the rights Adam had, God owns the earth, but it's just like if you had a building, you could sublease it. You with me? Or, or you were renting something. We could technically rent some space in here even though we're leasing this building and somebody on a legal right could come in here and do certain things until our main lease ran out then the owner could come in and technically do something. Well, God has that in store for the end, but he did something in the middle, and he came as a man to get back human rights. So he said, you're in the world, but not of the world. Why is that important? Because those who are of the world are under 
the domain, the leadership of the God of this world, who is the devil. So obviously the first thing is we're talking about the devil. The first thing we should do is be afraid. You know, a lot of people are. They're afraid of the devil. And you should have no fear. But you know what's dangerous is we've left our spiritual education to Hollywood. So we saw the exorcist and saw some kid's head spin around 12 times. And everybody who was supposed to be spiritual panicked and ran. Or they sprinkled water, holy water, and it burned them. And they went, oh, we got to get out of here. And so we were trained to be afraid. You with me? So we go to scary movies, and we see demons, and then jump out, and then teach people to be afraid. And, but the Bible said, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power or authority and dominion. But then we go watch things, and then we wonder why we're afraid. And we, re we didn't renew our mind like the Bible said, and so we let Hollywood teach us, and so then we're afraid of something we shouldn't be afraid of. Thank you. We're in the world. We're not under his legal domain as Christians because we're in a new kingdom. Turn to Colossians, the first chapter. Are you with me? Yes. Colossians, the first chapter. This is why sometimes we don't pray because in some cases, we just flat out have authority we're supposed to exercise and God is waiting for us to exercise that authority and then he'll back us. You with me? And if we don't, sometimes nothing will happen and we'll just, then people go, it just may, may be the Lord's will. You with me? Thank you. Colossians 1, verse 13. Notice this. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. That's the rule of darkness. That's Satan, the God of this age or of this world. He has not he's going to, he has. See, somebody said, but I'm facing problems. That's why you face it as a victor, not a victim. And if you just think, well, I'm trying to get it, you don't realize you actually have authority over problems, certain problems and the devil and things like that. Notice this. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. Now, remember, remember the phrase. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. Now, we learn that there is one who controls or is over those who are of the world system. Satan, the god of this age or this world, but he said, hey, you're in the world, but not of the world. So then if I'm in the world, but I'm not of that system that has got the devil over it, then where am I? He said, he has delivered you from the power, the rule, the authority of darkness and conveyed, the King James says, transferred or translated. And we know what that means. It means to move you from one place to the other. That's why this is spiritual. You're here, but you've been moved while you're here. So even though you didn't move physically, because remember, Jesus said, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but then you, that you keep them from the evil one. 
Well, how does he do that? Right here. He said he has translated you out of the power of darkness and into the kingdom of the son of his love. So people who are in the world and of the world are under a rule of the God of this world. But when people receive the Lord, they're translated out of, not out of the earth. They're still here out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son, who Jesus is now the head over that kingdom and believers are in that kingdom. This is important because whenever you see the reference to this kingdom, we're always called the body of Christ and he's the head. He's the head, we're the body. Why is that important? Because when Jesus was on the earth, the disciples were not the body and he was not the head. He was the only one until he died and rose. Now the head is in heaven and guess what's left on the earth? The body. So let me ask you a question. How many of you got here without your body? Just raise your hands, okay, three of you. No, nobody got here without their body. You mean, how many of you just came with your body? Just with your body. Awesome, this is great. I remember that old headless horseman guy, you remember, on Scooby-Doo? And um, that's my reference. Okay, somebody's like, what's that? We'll teach on that later. But... No, we all got here by the direction of our head, but we have a body. Your body executes things. We have a new ruler over our lives. We're in the kingdom of the dear son. You are the body, and the Bible said members individually. Just like a body has lots of parts, his body has lots of parts. He's the head, you're the body. Why is this important? Because when he raised up Jesus, turn to Ephesians 1, and I'm trying to run through some of this real quick to get to the parts I believe we should maybe look at for a few minutes closer. Ephesians, the first chapter, when it talks about Jesus being lifted up and defeating all the rule and the power of the wicked one, who's the God of this world, He not only was raised up himself to a victorious position, he raised his body up to a victorious position. But even if you know you're in a victorious position, or don't know, I guess you could say, you could be in a victorious position, not know it, not take advantage of it, but it was your legal right the whole time. You with me? We're still in the world. We're just not of it when we receive the Lord. You with me? Ephesians 1, verse 22. It says, he has put all things under his feet. Now, in the context, if you look, it's every evil power and all different things. He put it under his feet. He put all things under his, what? Feet. Where is it? Under his feet. Now, he's not talking about like the carpets under my feet. He's talking a term like under his rule, under his, you know, his feet. When he's talking, he's talking about terms of authority and terms of dominion and terms of victorious living. 
He said, he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. Notice the next verse, which is his body. So where are feet? Are they in the head or are they in the body? I know this is pretty deep. Feet are in the body, not in the head. So when you go to school, if you're a kid on Monday, you're going to go, I learned that feet are in the body, not in the head. See, you could just read past that and not realize that he put all things under his feet, not all things under his head. Meaning that he didn't just get the victory for himself, he got it for his whole body, because notice he said, and he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, verse 23, which is his body. And so hands are in the body, right? Legs are in the body. All these different parts are in the body, Eyeballs are up in, you know, you're up, they're up in your head. So he said he's the head and we're the body. So when he got victory, he got it for you and me. But he didn't just give you victory. Because you, if you don't know it, it doesn't do you much good. You could have an inheritance. And that's why Paul prayed earlier on that, you would see what your inheritance is. How many people have had inheritances and didn't know for years and years, and then somebody said, did you ever collect this, or did you, and then you search, and you're like, well, I got money, and I've been going without. There's Christians that, not just one or two, but all the church is the body, so if all the church is the body, then all the church has this right position. And he said this, though, in verse 23, and this is what I wanted to get to, which is his body. Notice this phrase, the fullness of him. What is the fullness of God in Jesus? The fullness of him. He's talking about his body, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all or fills all of us, all of us. In other words, no wonder you see scriptures that say, I was crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In other words, every believer, when they receive the Lord, whether you know it or not, you could die and you would go to heaven and it would be great and still not know this is a living reality that Christ's life is in you and he gave you authority as a body part. He's the head. And we know he gave us authority because he said, go use my name and do this in my name and do this in my name. He never once told them pray. Why? Because the body is to exercise certain things. Well, it'd be good for you to study the book of Acts. How many times did the people in the book of Acts pray for the sick? How many times did they get healed? But if you ever look, you'll find that they didn't pray for the sick there. They just spoke the name of Jesus over the sick. The only time you ever find somebody praying for the sick is James 5. 
uh, when you do it in the church and they pray a certain way over saints. But when you read the Bible, go read it, and you'll, say, you'll see Jesus said, he didn't say go pray for the sick when he sent them out. He said go heal the sick. Use my name. That must mean we have authority we don't know about. And here's what you need to realize. You have to realize you have something as a believer in you that maybe you don't know about either. Not mentally, not physically, we're a three-part being, but spiritually. Because we all know when we die, our body drops right down on the ground, right? Unless the rapture happens or the catching up away of the church, then your body goes up too. Otherwise, but then you leave. So that part of you, the spiritual part of you, has the divine life of God once you've given your life to the Lord. You actually have inherent in you the life of Christ, eternal life, when you've given your life to the Lord. So really, Satan has no legal jurisdiction over the church. And when I say the church, I'm not talking about a building. I'm talking about body parts. No matter who you are, you with me? No matter what, you have authority. Thank you. So we're in the world, but not of the world. Right? We're in the world, but not of it. So that means I'm in this world where Satan is, and he's ruling through things, and here... But Jesus came so that I actually and you actually could have some authority and do some stuff. Here's where we failed is we didn't gain knowledge when we should have. And then we prayed and didn't say anything happened and said must have been God's will and it wasn't. You with me? So there's a time to speak and there's a time or to declare. But there's also a time to pray. But we're talking about the speaking side for the next 10 minutes or so. So true faith is just the realities that are in the Word of God. See, we're reading realities right now. When people talk about, I've got faith, i got faith, i got faith, faith is, comes out of the Word of God. Faith is truly reality. There are realities in the Word of God that must get in your heart. And when that becomes real to you, because it's already real, isn't salvation already real? But there's people in jungles that have never heard about the Lord, but it's a reality that Christ has already purchased. I just have to go there and tell them, or you have to go, or somebody has to go and tell them, then that truth gets in them, and when that truth gets in them, they recognize the reality. The Lord works with you, deals with them, and then they can make a decision and act on that reality and go, Jesus, I declare you as Lord. And then the whole truth comes to them in the sense of they pass from spiritual death unto spiritual life. They transfer kingdoms right in front of your eyes, but not physically. You with me? Spiritually. And so that's what true faith is. True faith is just getting the realities that are in the Word and seeing them with your own heart. And so when people say, I'm just too busy to read the Word, you're missing out on reality. 
all these realities. Well, I just don't like, you know, just really digging into the word. Well, you're missing out on some reality. And so what happens is then we're trained by the world and we're not even of that system. You with me? Thank you. We're not under his rule. It's, his is only a permanent rule. We already know the end. We know Michael the archangel is going to come and chain him up for a thousand years while we rule and reign on the earth when Christ returns. And then at the end, he's ultimately taken care of. Right? So if we know this as a fact, we know his reign is temporary, but are we to be beat up by him all day long? But who am I? Well, you could be the toenail in the toe, but it's under your feet. You're part of the body. But you need to look at this. Ready? You with me? So we, we're all familiar. And, and, and let me just make this statement. Many things have happened just because we've been ignorant. And we've permitted things we didn't know better of. Then we didn't know these truths. And so we thought, Okay, it must be God's will. This is just, you know, my lot in life to suffer through, you know, this torment and all this other stuff. And we didn't rise up because of ignorance. And do you know the number one tool that the enemy uses? Lies. The power of suggestion. Right? That's why we talked about wrestling before when it comes to praying. Because he will suggest and lie. But we know it's not audible or we'd all hear it whenever he spoke to you or dealt with you or to others. So we know it's through the mind that thoughts come. And we shouldn't freak out when we have thoughts. Thank you. Mark eleven twenty three says this. For verily I say unto you, whosoever will say unto this mountain. Notice he said, say unto this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and would not doubt in his heart. But believe the things which he prays, no, says will come to pass. He'll have whatever he says. Verse 24 says, Therefore I say unto you, whatever things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you'll have them. Notice there's a time to say and there's a time to pray. And I think we maybe haven't said when we should have been saying. And what we don't realize is, is that in many situations of life, God is waiting on us to be able to act. And he's waiting on us to do something so that he then can do something. But a lot of people do stuff like this. I just turn it to you, God. You just do whatever you're going to do with this. And really, that's like throwing your trash out the window when you're driving down the street. It's just... That was not effective. Thank you. Notice this in Matthew 18. To prove this point, and then we're going to look at a couple things and close here. I know I've gone through a number of scriptures, but I think it's important because otherwise we would sit back and not realize when certain things came, we could actually speak to mountains. We could speak to problems. If, if, if depression comes, you know, or something like that, you got to be careful what you think on, but at the same time, you can resist that. You, you get what I'm saying? 
I've told this story before. I'm not like a real down person or whatever, you know, just living depressed and everything. And when I started the church after the first service, um, I knew by what I saw that the next week there would be me and a couple others. Just because all you wonderful people weren't there. And uh, I remember driving home thinking, man, I was kind of just like, phew, glory to God, I got the thing started. I just wanted to start. You know what I mean? Then start, you know, in other words, if I'm on a hill, I want my go-kart to, if it's got no motor, just at least to get a push and get going. Then I'll start steering and we can gain speed as we go along. And I remember driving home and I drove up over this hill and it was like a cloud came over me. And all of a sudden I was just discouraged. It was like the wind went out. And it wasn't a word, but I know it was the roaring lion, the enemy, and just like a suggestion. It wasn't a word, but it was real. You should just quit and close the door. You should just quit. And, I, and for some reason, I felt a little like, ugh. You should just quit. I still remember where I was. And I went, you know, because like a flash, I thought, there's no way. I, God's been dealing with me for over three and a half years to make this move to do this to last one week. See, some people don't look back. They just go, okay, I quit. And they don't realize everything that the Lord did to get them to that place and how he dealt with them and what he was doing. Okay, I quit. Change direction. I just said, I resist you in Jesus' name. And I'll bet you it wasn't even five minutes. It was like the cloud was gone. And I was like, glory to God, I ain't quitting. You know, it happened one more time about a week or a few days later. All of a sudden, that cloud came back. And I thought, and I went, wow, discouragement is not of God. And I just said, I resist you. Well, why didn't you pray? Because the Lord had already directed me to come. And what did I need to pray? Lord, do you still want me here? No, I just changed my mind. I didn't know that those people were going to show up the first week. Golly, Dave, you know, some things catch me off guard too. Why don't you just head on back or go do something else? I know you like to fish. Why don't you just go live by a lake? You thought the enemy was going to leave us alone? Because we're still in the world. And I just said, no, I resist you. And, you know, I don't know that, I mean, maybe I've thought of quitting, but I don't know those, you know, that that's really come. But after those times, it became real light to me that discouragement is really not of God at all. Isn't it interesting when uh, Joshua is going to go up into the promised land that the Lord said, be of a good courage. Don't be discouraged. Be of a good courage. Why did he say that? Because he was about to go face a giant. But the whole time he was going to face the giant as a victor to go in and possess the land. And I thought, man, how many people live discouraged and they don't know that maybe they should be resisting that. And they're asking the Lord, Lord, what should I do? And it's not an issue of what are you going to do, Lord? And, you know, you could be in the right place and just be discouraged because you're just allowing it. Not trying to be hard, just trying to be honest. Because let's look at Matthew 18. You with me? Verse 18 
Assuredly, I say to you, this is a scripture of authority. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth, notice earth is first, will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, notice earth comes first, will be loosed in heaven. It's interesting, all the different translations of this. Some say, if you permit it on the earth, heaven will allow it to be permitted. If you refuse it in the earth, heaven will refuse it in heaven. In other words, you could say it like this. Heaven will back you up. If you just permit it, heaven will allow it. Why? Because the authority exercised in the earth comes through the body parts. And, you know, but we could be taught in fear and go, you're telling me I got to face the devil? We've been around him the whole time we've been alive. Don't freak out. You've been around him your whole life. I have. Yeah, and he didn't get you in the headlock and throw you to the ground. But people think, oh, my goodness, you mean I'm going to have to deal with him? You've interacted with him in your life at some point, and you maybe knew it or didn't. But we don't have to be afraid, not when we have authority over it. Now, I'm just going to read a couple of verses. But from this verse right here, we see this. Many times people are waiting on God, but from this verse, God's waiting on us. If you'll refuse it, I'll back you. Remember I said we're going to talk about a time to pray and a time not to pray. There are some times we just don't need to pray. We need to rise up and do something. Why? Because we're the body of Christ, and he's the head, and he said, I would back it. How many times did he say things like this? If you use my name, I will do it. Right? John 14, 13. If you use my name, who uses it? We do. He said, then, I'll do it. But notice, if you don't use the name, he doesn't have anything to do. And then it's interesting because you read the next verse, he said, I'll do it. And so sometimes people are thinking, well, I'm praying and waiting on the Lord, and he's waiting on us. There's a time to say and a time to pray. If you're not sure what the enemy is and how he looks and what he looks like, he comes to steal, the Bible said. Jesus gave us a good job description, how he works. To steal, to kill, and to destroy. I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. I mean, any intelligent person could take, if you had a bunch of colored M&Ms, and put the red and yellow and brown here and put the blue and the green and the other here. You could do that, right? How many of you would know good from bad? Well, I just don't know good from bad. So if you got the flu, that could be good. Well, you never know. The Lord might be trying to teach you. Okay, so if he's a good heavenly father, he wouldn't go to jail on the earth for doing that. Yeah, he would. That'd be called abuse. Well, do something about it, God. I'm glad we're here today. Dun, 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 dun. That's my game show. Wrong answer. Uh, 
James 4, let's look at a couple of verses and then we're going to go. Happy Mother's Day. Um, this will make for good things. It will help you. Because if I'm tempted, do I just roll over when temptation comes? What did Jesus do in his temptation? The very first time he was transitioning into his ministry after 30 years on the earth, he was transitioning into the ministry where miracles started taking place and all this stuff. You know, he faced the enemy, and you know how often he prayed? It would be real easy. None. None. And he was led by the Spirit, but he didn't pray. He spoke in faith. And spoke to the problem. And spoke. Thank you. James 4. We here? There? Um, I Just give me a second. James, the fourth chapter. Every writer of the New Testament that God used to write the letters of the New Testament all told us that believers were to do something about the enemy. Never did he say that God would. So if he told us that, then that must mean if he said something like this in James 4, verse 7, therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he, the devil, will flee from you. One meaning in the dictionary, that word flee means run from you in terror. Well, that makes sense because even James said, demons believe and they tremble, but they roar like a lion but they're still afraid. They're afraid of you knowing the truth because Jesus said when this truth or other truths get in you, you'll know the truth and you'll be free. So he told us to exercise authority. Notice this in Luke. He, he would not have given you a command to do something if it wouldn't have happened when you did it. Wouldn't that be weird? Go do this. Go preach to everybody in the world and if they believe... I don't know if they'll be saved. <laughs> I don't know. Just go do it. Let's see what happens. God didn't talk like that. He said, you go preach. I'll work with you. And then people will be saved if they call on my name. He didn't say, well, you know, they might or they might not. Why would he give a command if he didn't uh, give the authority when he said they would flee from you? Luke 10. Everybody okay? Yeah. Luke 10. Verse 19. Now, this is not even the 12 apostles. This is the 70. Notice this. Behold, I give you, and this would be for all disciples. Behold, I give to you authority to trample on serpents. And to trample means to utterly destroy, to crush. But how many people have done anything? And if we don't, he could be operating when he shouldn't. And here's a side thought. A lot of the world is trained by television and not the Word of God. I'm even talking Christians in the United States. And they yield to the same things that all the world does. Because they haven't renewed their mind to begin to think in line. And they don't realize they're traveling with people who are in a different kingdom. And, you know... They don't need to act the same way because it opens the door to wrong things, even though we have authority over it. You with me? 
Luke 10, 19, behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing. How many things? That would mean, you know, two out of three for sure, right? A good three quarters, good 75%. No, why did he sell? I give you the authority to do it. Now you go out and do it and 75% of the time. No, he said, and nothing over their power and nothing shall by any means hurt you. So should we be afraid of him if he can't hurt us? Nope. But you could see where we're taught to be afraid. How many people are more afraid of the devil than they respect God? Because it's been trained into society to respect the devil or fear the devil, but don't really have to respect God. TV programs promote that kind of stuff. You get a minister on there, get a Christian on there, and they're crazy, weird, whatever. And then they paint this picture, and then we're used to laughing at it, disrespecting it. And there are all these freaks and weirdos who are all these Bible thumpers. Look at God's word is inspired. And then Christians go feed on that. And then they wonder why they struggle. Because they are not our teacher. And I'm not saying you can't watch TV. But you have to be aware of what you're letting in. Because it's a slow process of indoctrination. And coming out can be the same way, but thank God for the Spirit of God and the power that's in the Word. So he said, I give you authority to trample or literally annihilate the works of the enemy. Notice Ephesians 4.27, we won't turn there. It says, neither give place to the enemy. Well, then that means who gives him a place? Me or not? So if I'm not to give him a place, then that means I must have some kind of control over this. Whether I adopt his thinking, adopt his lies, adopt these things, and accept them. And I know this, God will lead us into truth, and we just have to follow him and expect and reverence his leadings. And many times people struggle with these leadings and they're like, but I just got to watch all these programs. And they've been knowing for years, knock it off. And then they wonder why that these realities are not real to them, but they're real. Because we get indoctrinated wrong. But thank God there's a way. And we have it whether we know it or not. So when you start bossing him around, don't think he's just going to go, okay, I quit. Thank you for your excitement. Here's one thing I want to say in closing is, because I've said all this, you don't want people to end up in a ditch. Everything you face is not the devil. But don't be deceived to think that nothing you face is him. You would be deceived to go, you know, well, I never face the devil. Don't think everything is him, 
but don't be deceived to think that nothing is him. You know, because you teach like this, and then all of a sudden you go out and you got a flat tire on your car. You know, the devil. No, you ran over a nail. If you believe he's got the power to stand a nail up and poke a hole in your tire, no, you're just in this world. You ran it over. Do I think the Lord can keep you from some of that? I do, if we would follow him. One day I was leaving church when I was in California, and I just had this knowing inside, don't go. And I just sat there and thought, I need to get home. I'm the last one here. It's dark. Our building was up on a mountain edge kind of thing, and I'm the last one. I'm sitting there. And I sat there and sat there just for about two, three minutes. And then on the inside, something changed. And I went, that's weird. I go down the road, get on the freeway. I start driving. And out in the distance, one car pulled over. But as I drove up, there was a car here, a car here, a car there, a car here, and a car here. And they're all pulled over. You know what they all had in common? Flat tires. And I just rode right through and didn't get a flat tire. And you know, if I would have been two or three minutes earlier, I bet you I would have been one of the pack. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not, this isn't like a discount tire, you know. Hey, let me tell you, you can avoid all flat tires. No, there are things that happen, but if we would listen to God, we could save ourselves some trouble. You get what I'm saying? Well, I'm just going to believe God. I'm not going to get sunburned. Well, then don't sit out at the pool for 12 hours with baby oil on. You understand what I'm saying? There's real authority, and then there's ignorance. How oh, the devil burned me. No, the sun did. Side thought, when the ship was overcome and Jesus spoke to the storm, one thing you need to remember, he didn't speak to the devil. So you don't have to attribute that storm to the devil. We don't know, but it arose and Jesus was able to speak to the storm.